Yo, this is Pastor Tito welcoming you to another episode of our weekly revolutionary podcast where I'm here to help you find faith in Christ and how to follow through in your life according to God, according to his word. So speaking of his word, we are starting today. I wanted to start a brand new series where uh, really I was kind of tackling a book of the Bible that I've never done before. Now, I've read this Bible, okay? I'm a pastor, so I have read the book from cover to cover. Um, But I was always intimidated with tackling and going right after the book of Revelation because it is the most, uh, you would say, straightforward yet complicated, the most incredible yet confusing probably book of the Bible. It's great. It's it's great. It's very intriguing. But I was always intimidated because just, man, I was like, ah, what if I get it wrong? I'm not trying to hear to decipher this and that and try to figure out what country fits and who's the Antichrist, right? And this, and and I I was always intimidated, but I was encouraged by especially one in particular person, uh, uh, Ali Cockerman over at our church to say, hey, man, we should do it. I'm like, you know what? All right, I'm just going to go right after it. And what's been encouraging was this idea, which I'm going to share a little bit today as we start week one. It's when you look at the book of Revelation, it's nothing to be afraid of. And because that's what I was and nothing to when when it comes to trying to figure things out, it's it's we shouldn't overcomplicate it. Let me just say it like that. And when I took that approach and when I really felt God kind of telling me, yo, don't overcomplicate it because you're missing the big point of the book. And when I wanted to pursue them, well, what is the big point? that's when everything's really kind of started to open up a little bit for me. And so, guys, uh, if you have not, uh, if you've read anything about the book of Revelation, it's really interesting. Uh, and I guarantee you, you just like me, which I have read it, I'm going to, you're going to see angles that you never saw before. And if you haven't, if you've ever been intimidated or scared to read it, don't be afraid. Don't, you know, you you are not alone. Everybody, a lot of Christians I've known wanted to avoid this book for that reason. But you know what? No more. Let's dive right into week one of the series called the end a study of the book of revelation today is going to be the beginning of the end all right today's the beginning of the end and that sounds super dramatic i know but anyways i'm sometimes i know i can be extra but what i'm saying is guys today is the beginning of a brand new series that we're doing called the end and this is i have never for those of you online in here you know that uh, there's, there's times that we have looked at chunks of a Bible, you know, chunks of the Bible and little sections here. Uh, I've done very brief flyovers of an entire book of the Bible, but never like from beginning to end necessarily, at least on a really big book. I've always maybe done the small ones. So this week is my first time going at uh, a, a tackling a book of the Bible that we're going to go from beginning to end pretty much, chapter by chapter. And it's a big book, and it happens to be one of the most interesting books of the Bible and the most intimidating. So you know what? Whatever. I'm going to kind of like Babe Ruth, right? We're just going to point to the fences and we're just going to go for it. And we are going to do a series on the book of Revelation. All right. That's the one we're going to do today. I've had a lot of you guys, those online, you've been asking me, right? Is this the end? Right? Is this, is this the final days? And all of these questions. So I was like, you know what? Let's find out together. All right. Let's read it. Let's go over it together. And so, like I said, it is, this book is interesting right? Especially when you're young, right? Why is it so interesting? Because it's full of drama, right? You know, like, yo, I want to know, 
right? What does it look like as we read the book, as we read the end? It's, it's, it's crazy, right? It's all these things. And, and there's a lot of us that, you know, we like that, right? We like that drama. And the book of Revelation is interesting because it's so full of symbolisms and, and, and images. It's a mix of literal and figurative all at once. And so for some of us, it's fun to try to play a game. Like, all right, what chapter in the book of Revelation are we in today? Right? You know, who's this? Who's that? Is this beast, this country? What's happening? Right? Some of us love to play that game. But I've also talked to some of you, and you've also told me that you've avoided this book. All right? Some of you, really quick. You don't have to, if you want to, online, let me know in here. Who's ever avoided the book of Revelation because you were a little scared to want to read it? Like, no, 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 I'm not going there. I, I, I got one, two brave souls. Anybody online say, yeah, I've never read it because, no, no, no. That's kind of like some of us, like if, if you're sick or if you know something is wrong, how many of us don't want to go to the doctor to find out what's wrong, right? A few, right? It's like, look, I know I got something, but I would rather not know than know, right? Have we ever been like that? I know, I don't know if it's a, if it's a minority thing, a Hispanic thing, but I know it's kind of like us too. Like, no, 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 no. I'd rather not go to the doctor. I'd rather not go because I'd rather not know. I just, just, just let me live my life. Let me live my life. I don't want to know. I know some of us can be like that, but look, as Christians, let's not play that game with this book, all right? Let's not play that game with this book. And so what we're going to look at, and I'm going to show you a reason why that the book even tells you, the author tells us why we shouldn't put it off. So first off, just to give you a heads up, what is this about? This book, well, first off, who? Who wrote it? Very fast. John, all right? The, he, he kind of, the author kind of uh, lets himself know. There's a lot of details and clues that let us know. This is the apostle, John, who wrote this. Now, this is the same John who saw Jesus crucified. This is the same John who was there, the only one to see Jesus at the cross. John was the first one to make it to the empty tomb. This is the same John who leaned on Jesus' shoulder the night of his, the last supper. This is that John, John 3.16 guy, for if, if you're not still tracking that John. John is also uh, written not only that, but three different letters, first, second, third John, and the last book of the Bible called the book of Revelation. By the way, helping you out, I've done this mistake, so let me help you, okay, as your pastor. It is not called the book of Revelations, all right? I've done it, so it's not. There's one revelation. It's actually the book of Revelation, one thing. But anyways, John is the one who wrote it. We can't, there's a debate on when he wrote it. Some say maybe 70 AD, some 90 AD. We kind of don't know. But we do know this. As the longest living apostle out of the 12 of Jesus' original crew, John is the one that died, the only one to die of old age. The other 11 were martyred, murdered, killed for the gospel. John is the only one to die of old age. And John right now, though, it ain't a picnic for John. As he's writing, as he wrote this book, which is actually dictation from God going to him, he's actually isolated, forced quarantined, okay, on an island called Patmos. And there, this is where the Romans would send political prisoners there to work on the granite quarries. And it is there. And by the way, if you don't know what this is like, it's a very treeless place. It's kind of like one massive rock. I mean, it's just a depressing kind of, I'm hopefully now with 2020 and make it a little nicer. But back then, 2,000 years ago, it wasn't a pretty place. All right. And so here's John in a dark place, alone, hurting. And not only is he hurting maybe physically, but his heart is hurting because the churches that he's been involved, his brothers and sisters that he has mentored over the years, they are hurting as well. This is a dark time. I mean, this isn't like what we're experiencing. So please, church Christians, let's not play games and compare 
our version, American persecution versus what they were experiencing, okay? This is not the same, not the same. What they were experiencing was a big deal. And so God goes to John in this lonely, dark, dip, you know, di- you know depressing, depressing place, really, and gives him a word because this was to these seven specific churches that John mentored, that John was responsible for overseeing because they were struggling. They were going through it. They were, you know, this wasn't uh, just a pandemic like a, you know, like a virus. No, this was a government coming down and people coming down on them. And this was difficult. And so that is when this word comes to John. And this word was meant to encourage a church that was struggling, a church that didn't know how we're going to make it through, a church that didn't know and couldn't see the light at the end of the tunnel. That's who this was written for, to not just encourage them, but let me tell you, to challenge them. So as we look at this, I'm telling you, that still stays the same. Every, this message and what we're looking at is for a church right now who doesn't see the light at the end of the tunnel. A church right now, probably with believers in Christ, who though you may be surrounded by, you are stuck on an island of depression, of loneliness, of frustration. And if that's you, do you want God to come and kind of show up and give you a word then? If that's where you find yourself, I know the church needs it. And what I love about God is that it seems like in the darkest times in my life, the darkest times in my life is when God tends to shine the brightest. It's just like at night, right? When you ever seen at night where there's little light pollution and the darker the night, the brighter the stars become? That's it. I know I've seen it. The dark, in my darkest, most down places, there I, there's Christ. He meets me in those places. And I'm here to tell you online, everybody here, God is here to meet us in that place. He meet us in that place because there is something. He wants to encourage us, but also challenge us. And here's where I want to challenge you as we look forward. I'm going to read this. It's not on the screen, but I'm going to read it to you. Here's why I want to encourage you and challenge you to hang in there with me as we look at this entire series on the book of Revelation, because there is a promise that is in it. Let me read verse three. Ready? John says this, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep what is written in it, because the time is near. Do you know that the, the only book of the Bible that actually says, blessed is the person who reads it and keeps it, is this one. Did you know that? Only book of the Bible that says that. Now, I'm going to tell you the whole thing. If you, you're going to be blessed if you read and keep the whole thing. I'm just telling you, okay? And I know some parts are a little more difficult than others. In Revelation, whoo, ain't no joke. But there is something special to say about this point right here where it says that blessed is the one who reads it and keeps it. So for those of y'all that have been putting it off because you're afraid to find out, you're afraid to know, uh, you are missing out on a blessing. So, all right, so y'all ready now? Y'all give me permission? Let's go. All right, let's get in on this. So number, so we already talked about who wrote it. We already talked about who this was written to, which we're going to kind of get into that in another week. But the focus of today, guys, is the greater who really, not what is this book about, but it's really a different question. Who is this book about? And then we see it in verse Number one, right out the gate, John writes, let's look at this. Let's look at verse, we're going to put on the screen so everybody online here can see it. Verse one of the book of Revelation, chapter one, verse one, look what it says. The revelation of, who is it? Say it again, the revelation of who? Online, you better type it in the chat. The revelation of Jesus Christ, 
that gave him to show his servants and what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angels to his servant, John. So right off the bat, I want you to know and I want you guys to understand, this book is not meant to give us a way to predict the future. Okay, this is not a book with a bunch of codes that we're meant to decipher and we're going to open up the book of Revelation right alongside the news, right alongside all the tabs that we got. Okay, we got Fox News, CNN, CNN, NBC, all these. Okay, let's go. Right. To figure out when is going to happen. Who is, who's this, who's that making all. No, this is not the revelation of the end of the world. This is the revelation of who? Jesus. So that's the point, guys, that as we move forward, you got to understand that this book just like the whole book of the Bible, has one purpose, to reveal Jesus to us. It's to reveal Christ. There's so many times, man, and I've been guilty of this, so church, let's not do this. How many of us have ever read or asked questions and wondered, yo, who's the antichrist going to be? Anybody done that? Who's the antichrist going to be? Is it the Pope? Maybe. Is it going to be a Democrat? Maybe. Is it going to be a Republican? Maybe. Some of y'all said probably yes to both those last two. So hold on, chill out if y'all did. All right. Is it going to be a Russian? Is it going to be a communist, a Marxist? Is it going to be an Asian? Right. Is it going to come from the European Union? Who's the Antichrist going to be? And we put a lot of stress, a lot of sweat on trying to look at the book of Revelation to figure out who is the Antichrist. Church, let me tell you, put, I'm not saying that we shouldn't focus on that, but hey, what's most important is Who's Christ? Who's Christ? Because this is the revelation, not of who the Antichrist is going to be. This is a revelation of Jesus Christ. And the more you know Jesus, when the imposter shows up, you'll be like, red flag. Nope, there it is. All right, there it is. That's the only way you know the counterfeit is when you know the real deal. You catch me? The only way you're going to know the counterfeit is when you know the real deal. And so when we move forward, I want us to, ch- I want to challenge you to say, look, who is Christ? Who is Christ? What I love about this which in English, it's kind of a little weird. We don't maybe see it as much, but in, in Spanish, we see this. The, the book of Revelation is not said Revelation. It's actually the word, the word that looks like apocalypse. All right, have you ever used the word apocalypse? What comes to mind when you think of and hear the word apocalypse? The end, right? You think of c- catastrophic, right? Bombs and, and this and craziness. Like apocalyptic is a big deal. But listen, apocalypse in the Greek actually means to reveal a mystery. That's what apocalypse means, to reveal a mystery. So this book of Revelation is really a book that is unveiling the mystery of who God is. This is us kind of like, and and here's the thing about a mystery, okay? Um, A mystery is not something, it's not like a math equation that you can figure out. It's not like two plus two equals, all right, it's not like carry the four, it's not like, all right, got to do the foil method for the, you know, abstract equations or whatever, none of that. This isn't something that you and I are called to figure out. This is not a puzzle. Who God is is not a puzzle. He is a mystery. And mysteries can only be revealed. You catch me? Mysteries can only be revealed. All right, there, me and Alicia, we just started watching a show on Netflix that was brought back old school. So where my 90s folks at? Who remembers old school Unsolved Mysteries? Who remembers that show? Anybody remember that show, Unsolved Mysteries? That's an old show. So some of y'all youngins that are watching it on Netflix, we beat you to it. All right, we've been, we've been on that. We've been on that since the 80s and 90s, all right, Unsolved Mysteries. But I was telling Alicia, it's like, it's a weird show to watch. Because you know out the gate, you know that in the end, there's going to be no 
no pretty bow to wrap it up. There's no justice in the end. You're literally going to see this drama unfold and then leave you at the cliffhanger. All right, we don't know who did it. <laughs> you know, like, if you, if you know any information, please come forward, right? And it comes, does one of those. But, and so, obviously, they do that to put the news out because here's the thing. The smartest people that do those cases, it's called unsolved what? Mysteries. Why? Because they can't figure it out. There's too much missing. They need, they need someone to bring a clue so that the mystery becomes revealed. Who did it? Who did it? That's the thing about the book of Revelation. And listen, that's the thing about God. That God is a mystery that only he can reveal. And in his entire book, we got nuggets. In his entire book, we got clues. In this entire book, we see elements of who he is because this book is not a book about you. The Bible is a book about God. It's about him first. It's, this is to show us who he is. God is a mystery that must be revealed for us to understand. But here's the thing. God is the one who does the revealing. So here we see that Jesus is the one being revealed, but Jesus is also the one doing the revealing. He is the one that's helping us to see who he is. Now, John has some crazy elements here. I love these descriptions. Let's look at verse. I'm going to put it on the screen again. Look at verse 5 through 7. As he's writing to this church, he's looking at Christ in the past. He's looking at who he is. He's reminding them of what he has done. So let's read verse 5. It says, and from Jesus Christ, he's telling the churches, this, is, this message is from Jesus. The faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him, I, I love this, guys. Read this with, uh, with, with joy in your hearts with me. To him who loves us and has set us free from our sins by his blood. And made us a kingdom, priests, to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Take a second real quick and thank God that he has set you free from your sins real quick. Take a second and thank him for what he has done. That he has set you free and he has made you. Not He took you from being enemies of God to being sons and daughters, a kingdom of priests, princes and princesses in his name. But hold on, he ain't done. Look at verse 7. Because verse 7 is the theme of this entire book. This is the ultimate next revelation of Jesus and the last that we need. Look, he being Jesus is coming. He's on his way with the clouds and every eye will see him and those who have pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. So it is to be. Amen. And the word amen in the Greek means truth. So every time you see amen, somebody says in the Bible, it means what I just spoke is truth. That's a truth bomb, hashtag facts, whatever you want to say. it. That's what that means. The part where he says, hey, many people are going to mourn. Many are going to be excited when that happens. When the end comes and you're still alive, listen, you're going to be excited if God has set you free from your sins. If you're not, you're going to be in that category of those who mourned. They're, they're going to mourn because they realized as Jesus is finally revealed, ultimately, perfectly, there's going to be a lot who mourn because they realize, I didn't trust him. I didn't believe it. I put it off. I thought it was dumb. Or whatever excuse they used. And guys, that's not what God wants for you. That's not what I want for you. That's not what our church wants for you. So we see this element. This is a, this is a vision of who we know Jesus is. But then, Jesus ain't done. John ain't done. Because right now is this moment. John's only hearing a voice. And I want you to read. Let's go to verse 12. Ready? Let's go to verse 12. Then I turned to see whose voice it was that spoke to me. When I turned, I saw seven 
golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was one like the son of man, speaking of Jesus, dressed in a robe with a golden sash wrapped around his chest. The hair of his head was white as wool, white as snow, and his eyes like a fiery flame. His feet were like, the, like fine bronze as it is fired in a furnace, and his voice like the sound of cascading waters. He had seven lamps, he had seven stars in his right hand, and a sharp, double-edged sword came from his mouth, and his face was shining like the sun at full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. Dude went passed out. That's it. He laid his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, but look, I am alive forever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades, death and hell itself. So look at this. Jesus looks mean. Yo, don't he? I mean, let's be honest. Jesus looked mean. This isn't eight pound, two ounce baby Jesus wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. This ain't nativity Jesus, okay? This isn't humble shepherd Jesus, right? This isn't the Jesus that would go and sit with sinners and just, oh, hey, you want to just hang out? This is the Jesus that's just chilling at a wedding. This isn't the Jesus that says, hey, I don't just call you servants. I call you my friends. That's this, that, that's, this, that doesn't look like that Jesus. This isn't like the Jesus that we saw who went like a lamb silent to the slaughter and stood there condemned, mocked, ridiculed as he hung naked on the cross for our, and took our shame upon himself. This don't look like the same Jesus. It's the same Jesus, but it don't look like the same, right? Dude look mean. Think about that. Look, he looks crazy, but hey, I want you to know, he looked mean, but he means business though. This Jesus means business. Oh, and if you think this is intimidating, wait till you see the other image of Jesus later on that we're going to look at in a couple weeks. Woo, that one's, that one's even more intense. But look, Jesus looked mean, but he's serious. He means business. This is the last revelation, the last moment. And again, the ultimate understanding of how we ought to view Christ. Now, some of us, we look at Jesus as a good teacher. That's good. And that's true. Some of us look at him like, like he's our Messiah, which that's true. Some of us look at him. He's our savior. That's true. Some of us look like Jesus. Yo, he's my best friend, right? You ever seen one of those shirts? Like Jesus is your homeboy. I'm like, you seen one of those, right? Jesus is my homeboy, right? All that's right. All that's true. But don't get it twisted, okay? He might be your friend, but he's the king. He's the king. He's your commander. If you are a believer in Christ Jesus, he is your commander, you got to catch that because that's the image that we see of Jesus. That is the revelation that we see Jesus. This isn't some battered and bruised dude. This dude, he's for real. He, all right, he's, he means business. You see what he looks like, right? All the, the whiteness, the, it, all of that doesn't mean just wisdom. Some people look at, you know, like white hair means wisdom, right? Look, it speaks of purity. He's so pure. His love is so pure. Those eyes that are fire. Just like, yo, some of y'all done this, some of y'all know, some of y'all got this ability to be able to look at somebody and burn a hole through their soul. Anybody know somebody like that? They just got a look that just, you got one of those, you know somebody got one of those. Jesus literally has those eyes of fire, but he, he is not to burn a hole through your soul. He has these eyes that can see through you, see you exactly for who you are past all the filters, past the game. Jesus has pure eyes to see you and to burn away all of those things. And listen, that fire is his love. He looks at you 
with not angry eyes. His, he's, he loves you and he looks at you in love so passionately that those eyes are on fire. They're literally lit because he loves you. His, his love is that intense. That's how he, and he sees you. He sees all that you are. He sees you. You, he doesn't, you don't need to be revealed to him. You're, you're exposed. You're exposed to Jesus. He sees everything. He sees your deepest, darkest secrets that no one knows. He sees you for who you actually are. And he loves you still. Just think about that. He knows you. The reason why you haven't let people know is because you don't even love those things about you. And maybe it's those things that keep you from loving even yourself. But he sees exactly who you are and still loves you. Still loves you. That's amazing. And we see here so many things, right? I mean, the way his voice is, that, that's the word, that sword that comes out of his mouth is truth. It's both truth and grace. Truth that just pierces the heart, slices and does soul surgery on you. That's what that does. And we see those feet of bronze, right? Bronze in the Bible speaks of judgment. And really it's judgment of sin. And so he has these feet that wherever he steps, he is just conquering the enemy, just judging wickedness, judging. And he is standing on all of those things. He is standing on a feet, on a platform of victory. This is this Jesus. This is the one that we ought to see. This is the one that he wants, John wants, God wants, Jesus himself wants, not only John to know, but it's the church to know. Because remember, what's the situation look like, right? And the scariest dude out there is is Caesar. If it's Nero, Nero was literally lighting Christians like if they were candles on the streets. I mean, Domitian, the other one in the 90s, I mean, these guys were horrible people. But here is a greater king, a greater capital K king. And he says, I don't know. I know they look scary. I know they mean business. But listen, I'm the king. You need to look to me. You need to look to me. That image of Jesus was meant to encourage them to know that he is alive, that he has not gone missing. He's actually on his way, but also that he means business and that he can be trusted. That's, that is the image that we need to see of Christ. And so as we continue on that, so as we look at the whole book, guys, I want you to know we are revealing and looking at who Jesus is. Now, these next two, I'm, I'm going to go quickly because it doesn't matter as much because we're going to break it down. Because the other thing about the book is, number one, it's about Christ, but it's also Christ's involvement over time. Look at verse 19. This is after he's, you know, he's trying to wake up John. You know, he's trying to, you know, hey, psst, buddy, wake up, wake up, dude, hold on, because he passed out. And he's telling him, look at verse 19. We're going to read the next one here. Ready? So he tells John, John, get up, bro. You, you got work to do. Get up, get up. And he says this in verse 19. Write what you have seen, what is, and what will take place after this. Look at those three things. Read it again. What is he going to write down? What he has seen, what is, what will take place. This book in the book of Revelation has three things in it. In it, it has the past, what, what we have seen, the present, what is, and what will come to pass, right? The future. In fact, you know, that's actually how the whole book is organized. Chapter one is John writing down what he had seen. Chapters two and three is what is. And that's where we're going to start next week because we're going to look at the church. Chapters two and three are describing a kind of history that repeats itself. A history that will repeat itself year after year after year after year until verses or chapters four through 22 happen, which is what will happen. What is to come? Verse, chapters 4 through 22 in Revelation is the final domino sequence 
up until the very end. Now, you saw what he just said, right? Hey, write these things because why? Uh, what will take place soon after this. You've already read things like this must soon take place. The time is near. Some of y'all may be like, exactly, bro. He wrote that 2,000 years ago. God's late. What's he talking about? You know, I, I know some of us are like that, right? When, when you used to tell your mom, like, mom, when are we leaving? Soon. Depending on who that mom was, right? Soon could mean what? Five minutes or sit there until I say so, right? It's just until whenever I decide. That's soon, whatever I decide. I want you to know, guys, all those here online, that God hasn't like, oh, I forgot. I said I was supposed to do it soon. Uh-oh, right? And now he's like all late. That's not God, okay? In fact, we know in his word he says he's buying us more time because he wants more people to be saved. God's waiting for you. He's being patient. But it's not just that. I want you to know that that phrase in the Bible, that it must soon take place, things must happen. This is actually a phrase that means it could happen at any time. Now, I know this is a big debate, and, I, and you know what? I know it's like, yo, when's Jesus going to come back? When's the rapture going to come back? Is it going to be a rapture? What about this? What about that? Is there a millennial reign? If you don't know any of that, you'll see. We'll get there. But what you need to understand from chapter 1, Jesus is putting on it and saying, hey, all, any of this can happen at any time, so you got to be on your toes. This could happen at any time, any time. And that sense of urgency should lead us and move us to live a kind of way. Number one, it could happen at any time time and so here we see so we but we see this aspect of past present future and like i said there is an element of history that also will repeat itself up until the very end and we're going to look at that soon but lastly here's the one part again the number one thing that that we are seeing is who christ is we see an image of christ that we are to carry with us not only through the rest of this book but for the rest of our lives number one we see this involvement of time what is what what was what is and what is to come but then that element of the church, which uh, we're going to pick this up. This is where we're going to pick it up, where I'm going to leave it off uh, next week. But the church, verse 20, I want you to read this because Jesus is saying, hey, John, this is not just for you. This is for a specific number of churches. Right, let's read verse 20. Here he goes. The mystery. Uh, again, remember what I told you? What is Revelation about? It is the unveiling of a mystery. So here it says the mystery of the seven stars, which you see in my right hand. Remember, that was prior when he turned around, he saw Jesus. He, he was all kind of, he was all kind of scary. The mystery of the seven stars that you see in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands is this. Again, there's Jesus being revealed and doing the revealing. You see what I'm saying? Only God can reveal himself. Look what he says. The seven stars are the angels, or in some translations, really the pastors, the leaders of the seven churches, and the lampstands are these seven churches. We're going to look at this starting next week. There were seven specific churches that this message was written to. And you know what's really cool? This is me nerding out. Give me five seconds. Humor me. The order, the order of the churches that were listed in Revelation is actually the order of the postal route. So this book, as it was supposed to be sent to all churches, it was actually, according to the Roman postal route, it was supposed to go first to the church that was mentioned first, and then sequentially to every church all the way. So I thought that was a really historical, archaeological, interesting detail, that it was supposed to go sequentially in that postal order. But I want you to understand what makes these seven churches so special. These seven churches, as we're going to see soon, not only represent, well, some theologians think it represents seven ages of the church, but it's really, remember, what did Jesus say? It's write down what is, right? What is, what did he say? What is, I know it sounds like, you know, a weird translation, but write down what is. 
These seven churches that we're going to look at are, represent seven Christians, seven types of Christians, seven types of churches that exist in every age. So over the next seven weeks, you're going to kind of find yourself. I think we're all going to be a little mix of all of them, but you're going to find a little bit of that because that speaks to who we are right now. That speaks to us, and those words are for us today. But those, again, why was this written? Why was this written to these seven churches? These seven churches were going through it, okay? They were going through something worse than we're going through. And these words were written to encourage them and to challenge them. Because the times that they were living, all right, weren't for the faint of heart. In fact, you know that some theologians in the 19th century used to say that the end of the world is going to be progressive. They would, there was actually a level of, of, of Christians that they kind of saw, they, they took evolutionary theory. And they said, in the same way that we believe that things go from complex or some from, you know, basic to complex and things improve over time, that... You know, as the church, as the world, as society, things ought to improve over time, which is true. But they took this element of truth about the individual. The individual is called to progress in their faith, in their walk with God. The individual is, yes. We are, as believers in Christ, called to look like Jesus, love like Jesus, more and more and more as we live our lives. But then some were saying, oh, but hold on, though. What we need to do is the end of the world is going to look like this. We need to reform society. We need to improve society and make as much of heaven on earth. And then that will cause Jesus to come finish the job. So Jesus is taking a sweet time because we're not doing anything. And so these were Christians about a thousand years ago. Yeah, a thousand years ago. No, a hundred years ago. Sorry. Only a hundred some years ago who were believing this. And they were saying, no, things are going to need to get better and better and better and better and better. Up until it is almost like heaven, and then Jesus will come and finish the job. Sorry to bust your bubble. It's not going to happen like that. Listen, number one, these people would say that they they focused on collective salvation. This is actually people who believe that the human soul cannot be saved until you save society first. When you save society, now you save the human soul. Let me tell you, that is the same messed up false teaching theology that is happening right now that you're seeing. This, This belief. And trust me, all right, it is, that what we need to do is, and you know, it puts this focus on society and skips the soul. A reformed society cannot redeem a soul. It's the other way around. Enough redeemed souls can reform a society. That's different. It's that way. But what we're seeing, though, what we're seeing through all of this is, this is not what we look at when you look at Revelation. This is not even what Jesus said. Jesus said the inbreaking of the kingdom is not going to be this slow fade. And then Jesus is going to say, are y'all ready for me? Done. Okay, that's not going to be Jesus. He actually says the inbreaking of the kingdom is going to be a catastrophic moment. Jesus himself told John at the Last Supper, it's going to look like a lady giving birth. Anybody been there? Been a witness? Gone through it? Seen it on movies? Okay, listen. There, Jesus says that as time goes by, the birth pains, the contractions, the difficulties will continue to get worse before it gets better. Doesn't mean that we shouldn't live to make things better. No, we, we should. We shouldn't be like, hey, it's going down the hill, so why bother? You know, I'm just going to sit out here and just sip on my Kool-Aid and just wait till this happens, right? Whatever. No, that's not our attitude. But he says, listen, it's a catastrophic moment up until the very end. Up until the end, we're going to see. And then if you've seen it when it's go time, right? Birth is a catastrophic moment. Yes or no, ladies, fellas, right? So, you, you know, some of y'all probably were like John when you saw that moment. You you know, just passed out in the middle of it because it's so overwhelming. Some of y'all done that. You know, I, I didn't do that. I'm a champ. I didn't do that. But listen, that's a catastrophic moment. 
But then notice it's, it's difficulty, there's pain, there's frustration, but right when the baby enters the world, boom, there's now this overwhelming sense of joy. I, I was a witness to that when I saw Alicia literally give birth to all three boys, and at the very end, when she saw the boy, it's like all of that pain just went away, at least for a minute, right? And so, and you're like, oh, it's because here's this birth baby that is now in this world. Do you guys know that that's Jesus? The baby is both now and not yet. Follow me, ready? A baby that is born in the belly, that is being carried by the mother, is now, right? He lives in the world. The she or she lives in the world now. But the baby is still not yet. The baby has not fully entered the world. The mystery has not been truly revealed, right? Before sonograms, you didn't know, boy or girl, right? You just had to, oh, there it is, right? You just had to wait till the mystery was revealed, until the baby entered the world. Oh, there it is. Now we know. 50-50, whatever. Now we know. Listen. That is Jesus. The kingdom of God is now. Jesus' kingdom, the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is now. God, Jesus is here, but he's also on his way. The kingdom is now, but not yet. The kingdom, the king, has not fully been revealed to the world. That's what verse 7 was talking about. But there will come a time. It's going to be catastrophic for a moment, but when the dust settles, it's going to be a good day. It's going to be a good day. It's going to be a good day. When the dust settles, it's going to be a good day. And so this word, this word was said to these churches like saying, look, I know y'all going through it. I know y'all going through it. But listen, Jesus is on his way. He knows what's happening. He hasn't abandoned you. He's here and he's on his way. For those of you right now, for us, that's a word for us where we are right now. That we know that both God is here and meets us in our pain, meets us in our struggles, meets us in our pit. But we also know that this king is on his way. And he's not on his way to, you know, he's not on his way to uh, be able to kind of finish the battle. No, he's won. He's won already. He's on his way to finish the job and just get it done and just to bring and usher in all that we are hoping and waiting for him to do. So this word, notice it is not just to encourage you, but it is to challenge you. I want to challenge you on how you view this God. How do you view Jesus? Do you just view him as your friend or do you view him as your king? And I love the last image. And this is, I want to leave with you the, the image that, G, that John got when he saw Jesus. After he was overwhelmed and passed out, he, know, he missed the detail. He saw how amazing God was, but he, he missed, you know, how beautiful and intense Jesus was, but he missed the detail. Jesus had to reveal and show him something that John didn't notice. He noticed the seven stars in his hand, which were the churches, the pastors, and the seven lampstands. He noticed, but there was something else in Jesus' hands that he missed. Y'all read it? He turned around in verse 19 and says, write these things. Actually, in verse uh, 18, I am the living one. I am was dead, but look, I am alive forever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. John didn't notice that. Jesus had to show him. and was like, hey, John, wake up. Shh. Hey, buddy. I got the keys, dog. I got the keys. I got the keys. I got the keys of sin and death. You didn't see it. You missed it. I got the keys. And you know what keys speak of? Keys speak of access. So, okay? It's keys speak of authority. If you got keys, you got access. You got authority. And Jesus says, I don't just got keys. I got the keys of death. I got the keys of hell itself. This is a trophy that he is holding up. This is, a, this is the trophy that he is holding up for us, saying, look, I've won. John, wake up. I won. I won, John. I won. And the fact that he has these keys, I want you to understand, this is what the church needed back then. This is what we need to know, that the, no matter what is happening out in the world, listen, 
I know everybody kind of losing their stuff right now, but listen, Jesus, it's 2020. Jesus still got the keys. Jesus still got the keys in 2020. He's still the king. He's still on top. He's still on his way. That hasn't changed. Jesus is like, oh, wait, I was on my way, but hold on. Let me get my mask. I got, I'll be right back. Hold on, earth. Let me get my mask first. I left my mask in heaven. Let me come back. No, man, he's still on his way. He's still on his way, and he got the keys. And the keys, listen, keys lock and unlock things. Keys, these keys now, Christ has used to lock up hell, to lock up death, to say when you put your faith in Christ, those keys not only now put death and sell and to put sin and death and demons in their place, but those same keys that Jesus holds, those same keys that Jesus holds unlock true joy in your life when you put your trust in him. Those same keys unlock eternal life, unlock peace that you can't find anywhere else, unlock joy, unlock happiness, unlock strength, unlock wisdom. That is the keys that Jesus has for us. That is what he has. And he offers you and I. And in fact, I like even just this, if I can put it this way, Jesus don't got, Jesus does, not only does he have keys, he is the key. Jesus is the key. He is what is missing. He is the most important element. It's Christ. Jesus is key. Jesus is key. Our king is key. That is what so many of us are missing. Some of you, if you are a believer in Christ and you're not experiencing all that you think you can find is because Jesus is not your king. He's just your God. It's different. He's your God. He's your God you go to when you need to feel better about yourself. He's your God to go to to cope with something. He's your God. He's your vending machine. That's what he is. You just go to him when you want to get something. Listen, if you're missing, if, you're, if you don't experience what you are supposed to be experienced because he's just your God, the key is he needs to be your king. When he is your king, he unlocks something beautiful and all together right there that only he can find and only you can find in him. And he will continue to reveal himself more and more and more until the end. Listen, church, now is the time that we have to make adjustments. In the same way, if you were pregnant or if your wife, you know, whatever was pregnant, what would you do? You would make adjustments, right? You know, hey, there's a future date where the baby is going to enter this world. I got to get ready. Right? I got to learn Lamaze. I got to do this. I got to baby proof. I got to figure this out. I got to do this. I got to read the books. Right? You Parents make adjustments when they know that a future date is about to happen. Listen, Jesus is coming. He's, I don't know when it's going to happen, whether it's you're still going to be alive when it happens or whichever one, either when Jesus marks the end or at the end of your life. One of those two is happening. What adjustments are you making in preparation to receive that king? And be received by that king. And all you have to do is put your trust and confidence in Christ. And renew your heart. That's all you have to do. And now more than ever, church, I'm speaking to a church that is isolated, a church that is divided, a church that has self-quarantined itself in many ways, a church that has just distanced themselves. We're spread out all over right now. Much like the church in John's time. And I want you to know, whether you're online, you're watching, you're here. You can look at the Bible and you look at history and you see this one truth. That in the world's darkest hour, the world's darkest hour always coincides with the church's finest hour. Every single time. The world's darkest hour always coincides with the church's finest hour. But listen, that's up to you. To say to your king, Lord, here am I. Shine in me. 
here am I. What do I need to do? What adjustments do I need to make, Lord God? I don't want to just shy away and shine. No, I want to stand and shine. This is the moment. Guys, look, I know that things are seeing, things are getting out of hand, right? You look at the news, you're seeing politicians, you're seeing people, you're seeing everything. Things are getting out of hand. Society is is just kind of losing itself. Things are getting out of hand. But church, never forget the image that we see. Because not only does Jesus have the keys of victory in his hand, who else does he have in his hand? He has the stars. He has the lampstands. That's you. I know the world may think, you know, when you look at everything seen getting out of hand, remember that you are in the king's hands. He holds you. When you hold and keep to his word, notice he's keeping you and he's doing a better job than you are, which is awesome. I love that. He's doing a better job holding on to you than you are holding on to him. And that's good. That's what grace is for. But hold on to him. Hold on to him right now. And I want you to do in the same way that Jesus is using his hands to hold you, I want you to do something with your hands. Ready? This is how we ought to live. In light of this God, live with one hand exalted in worship, praising the love of God towards you. And with the other hand, extend that hand in work, encouraging your brothers and sisters in love and lifting up those who are still caught in darkness. This is how we are called to live. By the love of God, in love. Listen, you pray differently when you know you begin to pray differently when you know Jesus wins in the end, don't you? You, be, you begin to pray differently when you know Jesus wins in the end. You begin, all right, to believe and carry yourself differently. You begin to think differently when you know that Jesus wins in the end. You begin to live differently when you know that Jesus wins in the end. Well, guys, he won. There's no figuring that out. He won, and he's on his way. So let's live different. Let's live with that hope and excitement and anticipation. There might be a little fear in there. That's okay. But live with that hope to know that this right here, God has won. We are victorious because Jesus Christ is the victorious king. He has won it for us. I believe it with all my heart that the world's darkest hour is going to be the church of Jesus Christ's finest hour. Like God is going to shine. And I can't wait. I can't wait. And so it's, it's so encouraging to know that, man, with, with so many things that have changed because of COVID and, and this and that happening, it's amazing to know that after all these years, God has never changed, has yet to change. And the fact that Jesus, the King, still has the keys, okay, that hasn't changed neither. And that should lead you and to receive a kind of hope that is going to lead you to live a different kind of way, regardless of what may come your way. All right. So guys, as we keep going, I want you to just hold on to that this week. And we're going to pick up right where we left off in chapter two, as we're going to begin a study of the seven letters to the seven churches. And so God bless you guys. All right. Hold on to God's word today. Keep following him. And remember, that's what it means to be a revolutionary, continuing to revolve every aspect of your life around Christ, the supremacy of Christ, the word of God, so that you can continue to find him and, and not only know him, but make him known. All right, God bless you guys. See you next week.